1: Hey, this is Benjamin Boyce. I have an interview for you today with Corinna, who is a software developer and trans person, and she took umbrage very recently with Twitter's newfangled deadnaming policy, where Twitter wants to eradicate people from their platform who use gender pronouns for people who no longer want those pronouns to be used for them. We use that as a stepping off point to investigate or to at least discuss the trans rights activist lobby and its effect, not only in the society at large, but in the medical and psychological fields, as well as its effect on trans people itself, which the trans rights lobby you would think is trying to stand up for, but it turns out the trans rights lobby has some problems with people who do not agree with their entire agenda. This is a little bit longer than normal, but it's worth every minute of it and I hope to have Corona back on my channel. Here you go. What are the parameters of this discussion? I wanna Well um, to you.
0: This kind of started because I wrote a thread on November four or twenty fourth okay. about dead naming. Yes. And my take on it was that Twitter should not be deplatforming speakers for deadnaming. Because first of all, it's important for victims to be able to name their abusers without being compelled to use uh, terms of respect. And the other is that Twitter itself should not be in the business of enforcing respectful conversation between its users.
1: Um, what would you say to Twitter wanting to maintain a non-toxic environment so it doesn't become like t- Tumblr? Or, you know. Well,
0: Twitter's problem basically is that they want to sell advertising and mm-hmm. advertisers do not want to advertise on platforms where there's controversy or hatred. Hmm. So what Twitter's trying to do is control the appearance of the environment so that they can sell their advertising to, or, or sell their space to advertisers. Hmm. So, so I, I get why they're doing it, but it has really nothing to do with whether it's toxic. It has everything to do
1: with the advertiser response. But if people start leaving in droves because they perceive that they would rather have, you know, some toxicity in an environment and be able to do what they want and spend speak and think things through on their own uh, and they end up leaving then there won't be any ad money there right that's the balancing act Yeah. so do you think that they that they can get away with not doing not entering into that balancing act
0: I don't know I I really don't know if you were to judge them solely on the basis of the actions they're taking it sounds like they're trying to find that spot
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: They might have overcorrected, but it's hard to tell.
1: Yeah. And um, I was just reading a thread or a video that was posted on a pro-lesbian website. I don't know the name of it. I'll have to put that in. But they talked about... This is a completely unrelated issue, but I wanted to get to what happened in the comments. So this lesbian comes out and she says, it's okay for... Lesbians to not want to have sexual intercourse with people with penises. There's no such thing as a female penis, right? Uh, she just right. made this basic statement. And then what happened in the comments for that was that she was flooded, or this website that reposted this video was flooded with people calling them turfs and saying that by even mentioning these ideas is promoting transphobia or trans violence. And do right. you think that there is actually, well, okay. How do we ascertain the exact amount of violence that is originated from disagreement of ideas? Like what's the definition of
0: violence, right? Well, if, I... if violence is uh, physical or if it's being measured by the number of police reported incidents. That's, that's, that's one measure of it. Is that what you mean?
1: Yeah. But do you think that, that, um, ideas feed into physical acts of violence that people's opinions and, you know, critical, uh, discourse like feeds into and justifies violence against certain groups?
0: You know, that's a, that's a complicated question. I mean, if,
1: if you look at
0: some historical precedents, like, what happened in Germany um, when they were scapegoating Jews or some of the language that was used between uh, the conflict with the Hutu and the Tutsi. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a lot of dehumanizing language. Um, A couple of things that you see in both cases are that one group is scapegoating the other, um, dehumanizing them, comparing them to insects or vermin, and explaining why Attacking them is the way that uh, the, the other group, um, what, what, what they have to do in order to survive, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So speech, at some level, can give rise to violence. But there are some pretty clear earmarks of what type of speech that is. And if, if you're calling somebody an insect and say that they need to be exterminated, that's a different completely category of speech from recognizing, uh, somebody's biological sex.
1: Mm-hmm. Why do you think that those two things are conflated?
0: Well, I mean, that's, that's a complicated question, but if you look at the people who are conflating those things, uh, and I know, I know from the videos that you do with evergreen, uh, that you touch on this a bit, but, um like we're we're in a wealthy society
2: mm-hmm.
0: even the people who are like financially marginal still are extremely privileged c- compared to um their equal age peers in other parts of the world mm-hmm. but i think that there's a certain um fixation or or desire to want to feel marginalized, to feel special. Mm-hmm. So to be able to to whip this up into conflict, saying, well, they're attacking me, I'm in danger, I'm threatened. The language that they're using is, is killing me. Um, it's, it's dramatic and interesting, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you think that's uh, been incentivized by social media or... Is there something deeper than just social media incentivizing victimhood, self, self-victimization? self I'm
0: sure there's something deeper. That's, th- that's beyond my expertise, but it does seem like it's been exacerbated by social media.
1: Mm-hmm. Have you been tempted yourself to... Um, I guess all of us have uh, been tempted to victimize ourselves or to hyphenate the victimization that society puts on us for not fitting into what we perceive society society wanting us to fit into do you do you you, have you seen yourself like be tempted or drawn to that or do you feel like you've been inoculated to going down that path that that's a really
0: interesting question so since i'm kind of in a marginalized position in the trans community because Mm -hmm. of my views, Hmm. I, um, I sometimes feel tempted to use that as leverage in order to try to get people to listen. Mm -hmm. Because what I've seen over and over and over is demands on social media to listen to marginalized people. So I feel like if I can reframe my position as that being a, a marginalized position, um, maybe I can get that marginal ear to listen to what I'm trying to say.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Have, have, has it worked? Do you think that you can get certain people in the door at least to start listening to you?
0: Um, you asked if I've been tempted. I have been tempted. Yeah. I haven't really tried to put a lot of effort into taking that sort of tactic.
1: Yeah. Do you feel like responsible for shifting The trans community's ideas of acceptance of different viewpoints, or and how does that balance against with shifting society's views of the trans community or just trans individuals? Um, I I do feel some responsibility
0: to try to shift people's ideas because I have gone through my own process of growth and learning. Mm -hmm. And it, it took years before I was able to mm-hmm. see myself in a way that I wasn't ashamed to be trans.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And by that, I mean, not like trans is beautiful or trans is proud, but I am a, a male person mm-hmm. who's had feminization treatments mm-hmm. so that I look more, more female-like so that I can inhabit a role in society mm-hmm. as, as a woman
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, to get to the point where I could think about myself that way and not have it feel depressing or Hmm. uh, wanting to feel Hmm. Um, self-annihilating. That took a lot of work. And I do feel some responsibility of trying to hasten
1: that process along for other trans people. Mm -hmm. And do you think that that's uh, primarily an internal process that can be accentuated by societal conditions and societal attitudes? Or is it... Cause it seems like but, certain contingents of the trans community want society to change. And first and foremost, rather than the individual. And that brings up like the whole rhetoric of my existence is being erased. And I'm talking about outliers and stuff. I'm not, I don't mean to generalize. So
0: it's, uh, there's a lot of it coming from the trans community. The trans community is very insular. So a lot of the messaging that we get is from ourselves. Hmm. So the, the, uh, you know, 41% of trans people will attempt suicide or one in six trans people die before age 30. Like not only are those statistics false, but they're perpetuated a lot, even within our own community.
2: Hmm.
0: And they're explained as, well, cis people don't accept us or, You know there there's always some sort of framing to explain why
2: Mm
0: -hmm. um being trans is is such a burden or so difficult um i do agree that at some level trans activists are also trying to shift society to become more open and more accepting um i I think there is some value there i just think some of the execution of that lately has not been very well thought out
1: I wonder if the execution is being rewarded by companies that want to, like say Twitter with the change of terms of service with dead naming and uh, misgendering is now thought crime, basically within that platform. It seems like from a certain point of view, they are trying to do the right thing. Uh, You brought up advertisers. It might be advertising plus, you know, some sort of virtue that they want to model. I don't know. Um, But I wonder if taking those stances actually diminishes the, the acceptance of society's organic switch on these issues.
0: I think that is probably true. And that's based on the reaction I had to my thread on dead naming. I more than doubled the number of followers I had. Mm-hmm. And it was this really interesting, you know, sort of horseshoe where half of my new followers came from like radical feminist point of view. And the other half came from, mm-hmm. uh, the make America great
2: point of view. <laughs>
0: and I, I think where they're, where they both meet is they want to be able to have conversations without feeling like they're being monitored by the platform. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Did, did you feel that having those two pe- those two groups come together and converge upon you, that you now have the ability to, to to work with both of those perspectives to be a little bit more open with regards to your status as a trans person? Um, I don't know. Um, I had a, a lot of
0: the right-wing uh, side of the people interacting with me saying, oh, thank God it's a, a um, logical or reasonable trans person. Hmm. I don't think that's really fair. I think there's a lot of people who are trans and, and also reasonable. Yeah. But I think on a social media platform like Twitter, this is the first time that that group of users was getting exposure to a viewpoint that wasn't hmm. typical of the hard left point of view.
1: Hmm. It's almost like you were provided the opportunity by some brash action being taken by trans activists within Twitter to actually say no and and actually... It, it was like an opportunity for you to to use the controversy, to pivot it away from the controversial and more towards the, the dialogical or the rational.
0: It, it was. I wish I didn't have that opportunity, though.
1: Well, really? Is it too much pressure?
0: No, it's that if Twitter were not being so interventionalist in mm-hmm. the speech on its platform, there wouldn't have been the need.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you think that there's two sets of arguments uh, in dealing with the gender critical crowd and the, I guess, the the right crowd or the conservative crowd. Do you think that there would be two different arguments to be made to engender trans acceptance? Or do you think that there's like a fundamental argument that would unite both of those disparate ways of looking at the world?
0: Well, well, that's interesting, uh, because I, I have a lot of friends and acquaintances that are gender critical or radical feminist and actually that side is very accepting of trans people hmm. um, more so probably than the the right side mm-hmm. um, or the right wing side what I get from the right wing side a lot is trans is a mental disorder we shouldn't be catering to people that have um, mm-hmm. mental problems whereas mm-hmm. the gender critical side is more um, you know people's gender expression or the way that they express themselves should not be limited based on Hmm. their biological sex or their genitals. People should feel free to be feminine or masculine um, and, and still be accepted and welcome in society without, Mm -hmm.
1: um, without fear. Mm -hmm. One of the gender critical criticisms of, trans acceptance is the allowing of male bodies into female spaces. What's your position on that or your argument for or against that? Well, uh, I mean,
0: there's a need for sex segregated spaces in a lot of different contexts. We can see um, even right now in different parts of the world lack of access to sex-segregated spaces creates a danger for um, Mm -hmm. young women. Even in more westernized countries, when we've been able to see by the statistics that when sex-segregated bathrooms have been replaced with gender-neutral bathrooms, there's been an increase in the number of um, cases where women have been attacked or um, made unsafe. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And do you think that that but what what about the trans person who is presents as female but is biologically male? That's where it gets complicated.
0: Yeah. It does, but it, it it gets complicated there. And then it gets even more complicated when you have the biologically male trans person who identifies as a woman, but does not look at all like a woman who who might look exactly like you, for example. Mm-hmm. making claims to having a, a female body
1: mm-hmm. or mind so, or soul or
0: or ho- however okay that individual wants to explain it yeah but um there there used to be a time that if you were going to transition like i did the goal was to assimilate and by assimilate that means try to disappear or be accepted without um creating any sort of ruckus yeah into the sex target sex that you're trying to transition into hmm. that's not the case anymore so the the thing that you ask uh, what about the female presenting person who's who's biologically male um, that used to be quietly accepted and the the bargain of that was that the trans person was doing their best not to hmm. um, create a disturbance in that space
1: yeah there was a bargain yes that's what kinesis or asha talks about about when we talk about trans rights we also need to talk about trans responsibilities so insofar as the trans the trans woman is entering into the woman's space then it's uh it's their responsibility to assimilate as you say yes but why is it now the case that assimilation is no longer um the goal
0: Um, in my opinion, it has to do with like society has been shifting and has becoming more and more accepting of trans people mm-hmm. access to role models or
2: mm-hmm.
0: information on how to transition has, has gotten much easier.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I, I think the mix of people who are deciding to transition has changed. Hmm. Back when I transitioned, it was a lot of probably about, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to guess here, but I think it was about 50-50 young people who were in their late teens or early 20s and then uh, older people who are maybe in their 30s or 40s transitioning, mm. males transitioning to uh, live as women. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe seven, eight years ago, I think the, the mix shifted a lot so that it was um, tilted a lot more towards older people transitioning. Hmm. And in the last four or five years that mix has shifted again, where that it's a lot of girls that are shifting to identify as boys. Mm-hmm. But at that point where it was sh- skewing older, I think uh, if, if you follow um, Ray Blanchard, you might know he has a theory of um, homosexual transsexuals and autogynophilic transsexuals, Yeah, where homosexual transsexuals, his theory is that those are gay males who, um, very young exhibit feminine behavior and want to change so that they become attractive to, um, who they're attracted to, which is usually straight men
2: hmm.
0: and, uh, autogynophiles are, um, it's, it's a paraphilia, uh, where a man feels like there's a, a feminine self within him that he's attracted to and wants to become. Hmm. That's kind that's kind of a summary of the theory. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's usually older people who more fall into that uh category.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What I observed is that as that mix started to become more populous and you had a lot of people who had become accustomed to living with male privilege, that really kind of changed the hmm. idea of assimilation into the idea of um, demanding access.
1: Hmm. Fascinating. So could, could you break that down? Because that, that's a very rich idea. That There's these men who later on in life, after having uh, functioned in the world as men, and with that functioning in the world as men, they were given certain rights and responsibilities. And then when they wanted to switch into being women, they didn't want to necessarily adjust the rights and responsibilities that they had. They wanted to keep certain rights and gain certain responsibilities or keep certain. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I, I think that is a, a fair reframing of that. Um, a lot of the times the, the older people who are transitioning have are bringing families with them, careers, uh, often a wife hmm. and they want to maintain all of those things that they accumulated up to their life so far without having a decrease in their social status or their financial status. Mm -hmm. So describing it as rights and responsibilities, I think that's fair.
1: I just wanted to avoid the baggage of the word privilege um, because of the amount of abuse that it can engender. Um. Okay. (laughs) Um, What, in your mind, and we're generalizing, that's on the table in your mind. What does a, an older man or up to that point, a man gain by transition? Is it, uh, is it beyond just a autogynophilia? Is it beyond, uh, just a psychological bonus? What, what is gained in that transition?
0: I'm not sure that I can do a good job putting myself right. in those shoes. Um, based on friendships and associations I've had, I, I really do believe that, um, older people who transition also have gender dysphoria and are are also looking for some sort of relief and Hmm. that Mm
1: -hmm.
0: they look towards transition as
1: gaining, um, some measure of that. And in your mind, is gender dysphoria a disorder it has to be, okay. right?
0: If if you don't feel like your body fits you correctly, if you feel nervous or anxious because um, your body is not configured in a way that you think it ought to be,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, to me that does seem like some sort of disorder. Okay. But, I mean, there's all sorts of common disorders. Uh, anxiety disorders are, are extremely common in the populace, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So to describe it as a disorder, I don't think uh ought to stigmatize it in any way
1: okay that i bring that up because earlier you said that people from the right in your experience want to frame trans issues as uh they not wanting to cave into somebody's disorder i don't want to pretend i don't want to pretend that you're a she if you're not and and because of their value matrix being very conservative and believing in stability of categories um it makes logical sense that they would categorize that at the same time. How do you work with that or move that towards acceptance? Uh, How do you, how do you limit the resistance or, or allow the disorder to not be the sole argument against accepting you?
0: Well, I grew up in an environment that was very live and let live. Mm -hmm. So you could be a strange person and have some quirks as long as you weren't um, hurting anybody, right? So one quirk could be that uh, you like to take walks around in in your boxing short or boxer shorts, right? That might be a weird quirk. But if you're also uh, you know picking up garbage along the way and and trying to help hmm. the neighborhood in some way, People say, yeah, that's, that's a strange person, but you know, leave them alone. Hmm. Um, I, I think it's like that with a lot of people who are trans that are just wanting to go about their, their days.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, a lot of people are visibly trans and they just don't have any, you know, th- there might be a neighbor who they don't get along with, but I think most people have neighbors that they might not get along with for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you're not bugging somebody, if you're not hurting somebody, yeah, then most people will just le- leave you alone.
1: Yeah, it takes a lot of energy to to dislike or even to hate. It takes a lot of energy, um, and usually, in my experience, people who are filled with hate are there's something inside of them that's broken or traumatized, and they're externalizing that. Um, but for for the most part, as long as you're not forcing somebody to give up their values or give up their property or, you know, assaulting them in in a certain way, it just doesn't make any sense for them to go out of their way um, to target or to hate on people. Um, Which, it seems kind of obvious to me, um, because that's how I was raised and that was the society that I grew up in. But it seems like, and I don't I want to do this respectfully but it seems like certain activism itself not just trans activism but a lot of the social justice activism um that we've been gawking at for the last few years has to do with getting up into people's faces and really working out almost like a psychodrama working out like the individual's pain on society and stuff. And actually it works against the goal of assimilation and acceptance. And it almost seems like there's a contingent within activism itself, uh, not just trans activism, but just activism itself, that there are people in there who don't want actual, they don't want to assimilate and and they're, they're right. proud of that. And that somehow is important to them. Um, and they use a lot of tactics to make sure that they're insulated uh, from having to assimilate. Um, and that's, that's one way that it might be the case how Twitter's gotten, has been for enforcing this, uh, no dead naming and misgendering policy because they are reacting to people with very staunch, we will not assimilate the society needs to assimilate to us. That was supposed yeah. to be a question, but. <laughs> <Yeah>. Well,
0: <laughs> I, I've been um, criticized for using the term assimilation. Okay. Just for reasons that you say that their argument is that you should not be required to assimilate in order for someone to still accept you, or for, for you shouldn't have to assimilate in, in order to still have protection um, in society. Hmm. And I'm sensitive to that argument, that nobody should be forced to live by somebody else's um, ideas of what's right or wrong. Uh, Again, assuming you're not hurting anybody. But um, society is also a compromise, right? Hmm. So you can't always demand everything without trying to offer something in return. Hmm. I think that goes back to Hmm. that framework that you're talking about of responsibilities
1: and um what was it responsibilities and rights yeah yeah it's almost like a societal tax you're afforded with the benefits of being in a society which are numerous and nourishing um but there's a tax for that there's there's a cost for entry and to maintain the system and stuff um and it's just interesting because we're in a world now with social media, with the internet, that all these people from all these different walks of life are now suddenly all exposed to all these other different walks of life. And there sh- it shouldn't surprise us that there's a lot of friction involved in the, in the meeting of this, uh, of all these different people. It's pretty amazing, though, in a certain respect. And I don't know where um, I read this... Um, I think it was Kinesis again, or Asha, who talks about how with the internet, the very, the minority, like statistical minority of trans folk are now able to connect with each other and form groups. And I just want to build on that. And it might be the case that because historically this is a new kind of group forming, because in the population Mm -hmm. it was scattered so much that it was impossible for them all to congregate, that perhaps... Uh, a culture forms and a culture itself just goes through different stages of development. And maybe one of the stages of development is to exert itself in a prideful manner, and then maybe in a little bit of a radical manner. And then through that process, kind of like a a young person, like a teenager gets in their radical phase, but then starts to mature and starts to think and starts to see the reaction that this behavior is having on and the other bodies and stuff and it it seems to me that it might be the case that you and and people like you that have been connected with and contacting uh through the internet are are like laying the groundwork for the next stage of the trans community as as a community uh, you, you brought up earlier on that it is pretty closely knit together
0: i i can understand why that theory would make sense, but I think the trans community is an outlier because with a a lot of different other social movements, they often Hmm. form around about the same age cohort Mm. and mature that way, but because the trans community, um, there's no entry point by generation. It's Hmm. just whenever somebody wants to transition, I don't think that it is subject to that same type of maturation process that you're describing Hmm. because somebody can transition or declare themselves uh, to be transgender and immediately start developing a an audience or platform Hmm. to talk about their ideas okay and actually if if you go back and you look at who's been vocal in the community or visible in the community It's, it's really kind of an Andy Warhol thing where somebody gets a platform, they, they make a couple of statements on it and then they're swept, swept away. And it's the next person who's up now.
1: Huh. So there's, uh, there's no permanence. It's always, it's eternal spring or eternal September to use that. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Do you think that it would necessarily then end up splintering and then you just have groups with different, uh, Different cohesion points, like uh, like a rational trans community kind of forms and then strategizes, or just starts acting in a way that draws more people to it, and then other radical sectors form. And, and I don't know anything about it, so maybe this has all already been happening for all the time that that it has. Um, do, if it has been happening, do you see that it's been changing at all, or we're just now there's just so many more eyes on it.
0: Well, there's a lot more eyes on it right now,
1: yeah
0: conversations that have been bottled up for a long time mm. are are being uncorked <laughs> so we're seeing a lot of different points of view in the media right now as compared to even a year ago, yeah, which I think is great. um hopefully, there'll be more trans people who are comfortable coming out and leveling criticism against um some of the, the, the tactics or behaviors of, of the trans activist community.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But you know, in, in, in my view of what's been going on, and I've kind of been engaged in the back and forth for five or six years now,
2: yeah.
0: I predict that the next big movement or the next important movement will be when the people who have been transitioned as children in the last couple of years Reach adulthood and begin detransitioning in large numbers.
1: Hmm. Hmm. That that's uh, that's a big. What, how do you see that um, expressing itself? Well, we're seeing the leading edge of it right now.
0: Okay. Of girls who transitioned because they were drawn in through Tumblr or other social media, are starting to detransition and share their stories of. The peer pressure they felt, hmm. of the like getting binders without their parents' permission, mm-hmm. of um, idolizing their trans idols, and then getting to young adulthood and starting to realize that that um, transitioning wasn't the right move for them. Mm-hmm. So we're at that leading edge right now. I think it's just going to keep growing until people who are probably 15 or 16 right now. Um, I'd say four or five years from now, they're going to be the ones really leading most of the conversations in the trans community.
1: Hmm. Do you perceive that? Um, what, what's your stance on pre adulthood transition?
0: Well, I started my transition. Um, you know, there, there's not like an exact pin that you can drop on the day, yeah. but I started when I was about 17. So, um, I thought it was the right choice at the time, but now that I'm an adult and can look back and see the decisions that teenage me has made for me right now, Hmm. um, if I could send a message back in time, I would counsel myself to be a little bit more patient and try to Hmm. wait it out. Hmm. But I know that if uh, I had received that message back then, I would have disregarded it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there I can I can understand the the urgency of somebody in their teenage years to transition, uh, because I understand that no matter what you're dealing with at that age, you're in a rush. There's a lot of urgency. Um, There's psychological urgency um, to feel okay, So maybe so you can get on with life and put your energies elsewhere instead of wrestling with your experience constantly. Um, There's also the urgency of the physical um you know outcomes of puberty uh, which right. are un- undeniable um, and irreversible without you know tremendous amount of, of uh, at least money at this point right. until we have right. 3d printers that can print you a new skeletal structure um but that's different than the urgency within the medical and the psychological fields it seems like there's a there's a different urgency that the adults are having in um, uh, what, what's what's the word, uh, in allowing this to happen and, and supporting people in this, there's a, there's a rush to acceptance, um, which is ironic because, uh, you know, that acceptance doesn't necessarily have the outcome that that's wise. It's not informed by wisdom. Um, yeah. And, and it really kind of blows my mind because there's
0: no, like there's, there's no long-term study on the outcomes of Mm. transitioning children so it's extremely risky and they they, the practitioners justify it often as it's a choice between do you want a living daughter or a dead son or Hmm. vice versa Um, but if if that kid makes it into 30 and the experience of transition are, are so terrible on them that they are suffering with depression and uh, whatever sort of effects from the HRT that they've uh, hormone replacement therapy that they've been on, um, that person might not have a very happy existence anyway.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So th- the idea that they're trying to to fix a problem right this moment to get that kid through the next two weeks or the next two months mm-hmm. without realizing that that person is going to spend almost the, their entire life as an adult having to deal with these decisions and choices as an adult um, it's just so short-sighted and i i, I can't
2: hmm.
0: i can't understand why there's not more curiosity about the outcomes of like my generation who transitioned young mm. to to see where we're at mm-hmm.
1: um,
0: in our middle life
1: like, yeah. there
0: there's there's just no curiosity about it really yeah
1: um, within the scientific field or the psychological field or even just society at large?
0: Well, um, among the professionals who are um,
1: in the business of transitioning children. And how do you how do you know that there's no curiosity? I mean, uh, I've, just... I've contacted
0: um, one of the most prominent people in it and offered to work with her so that she could get some points of view on a Hmm. teenager who transitioned and and what their their life has been like. And she replied back and said she was just only interested in in, uh, working with kids. Hmm.
1: Hmm. That seems like malpractice. Um, And I don't mean just like that one example. But if it's true that the medical field and the psychological field are being dominated by political forces, that's that's malpractice. That's setting people up for difficulties. That's, that's uninformed consent or willfully ignorant, uh, informed consent. I mean, to, to play with that word. Well, I don't
0: know if it's malpractice or lack of informed consent. Um, I mean, it's really not the children that are making the decisions anyway. It's the parents who are making the decisions, Mm -hmm. but, um, so, so the kids have no say in it. I mean, they they have a say they could, but not like a legal say right yeah to initiate yeah right yeah. so it's really the parents who are making all the the de- decisions about care mm-hmm. but um yeah i would if if i were somebody who is um in a role of helping kids to transition from in, in into a, a target sex role i would really want to understand better the outcomes of mm. a generation that's already done
1: it mm-hmm. Um, and your generation was, had access to medical treatment, specifically hormones. Yes. And you're the first generation to, to have access to that.
0: Um, or, maybe the second generation. Okay.
1: Yeah. But it became more, uh, available to you. Yeah.
0: There there was maybe a handful of people in the seventies who did a seventies okay. and eighties. Yeah. Then maybe a couple of dozen people in the eighties and nineties. <laughs> Now, thousands of children
1: okay. do you think that the the screening process that you were put through uh, was adequate or too brutal or too lenient?
0: Um, that's a That's a really interesting question for in the context of the time that it happened, it followed something called the Harry Benjamin Standards of care. Hmm. I had to have a note from a psychologist in order to start hormone, hormone replacement therapy. Okay. So there was no informed consent uh, for hormones at that time.
1: And we'll, could we define uh, informed consent? I was playing with the word, but just for the sake of the audience. Oh,
0: yeah. Uh, it, right now, if you identified as trans, there are different clinics you could go through to uh, in the country. I think Planned Parenthood is maybe the lo- largest provider of this right now. If you go to the clinic and you say that you're trans, they will help you get on hormones without there being any additional screening.
1: Okay. And do you think that that's responsible of them? And why do you think that that's uh, the case, that they're doing this? Well,
0: they believe it's responsible because they believe the patients know the risks and the benefits of what they're doing Okay. and that the patients can choose to um, control their own uh, intake or therapy. Hmm. Hmm. Like they, they, if they want to discontinue taking hormones, they can basically. I'm not in the best position to say whether it's uh, responsible or not, Yeah, but I don't think that we understand all of the physiological side effects of hormones in the long run. So it could be um we, we, we do we do know that for female bodied persons who are taking testosterone that there's a lot more risk for them. But there's also risk for male bodied people taking um estrogen or, or anti androgens.
1: Could you shoot off um, a few of the risks for female to male and male to female like the Sure. Phenomenon? Um female
0: to male um Testosterone can uh, create some side effects that could increase um, uh, PCOS and uh, like high high blood pressure. Okay. uh, For um, male to female uh, estrogen therapy can also cause like hypertension, high blood pressure, uh, blood clots, Hmm. uh, increase your uh, um, chance of stroke. So it's not like dieting or I guess dieting could be dangerous too, if you don't do it right. But it's, it's not like taking a, you know, Flintstone vitamins. Yeah. Hormones are serious
1: things. Yeah. And with the case of Planned Parenthood, they're just assuming that the individual has the ability to monitor themselves.
0: That's my understanding of it.
1: Okay. And with, with you, with your experience, you needed a psychologist psychologist to write write off on you. Yes, to to approve it. And then the doctor just administered.
0: Yes, I, I saw a specialist who um, had a lot of trans patients. Okay, that that was a that was a weird experience.
1: Well, do you mind uh, saying why? Uh, well,
0: I was 18 years old and starting hormone therapy. And I was living in Reno, Nevada,
2: hmm.
0: and there was there was no doctors in Reno that would see a trans patient at that time. Hmm. So I would have to drive to San Francisco, and as you can imagine, it was a lot easier to find an endocrinologist to mm-hmm. prescribe hormones mm-hmm. uh, in San Francisco than it was in Reno. And the the woman who I saw, I can't remember her name, but I wish I could. She was like a a cross between Doctor Ruth and Doctor Frankenstein. <laughs> she was she just <laughs> seemed to have a passion for, um, converting her trans patients. Hmm. And, uh, I, I recognize now that maybe, um, hmm. you know, when she, when she was like testing my lymph nodes and then checking for my breast development, that maybe she didn't need to be so handsy. Uh, but that was a thing that happened and huh. it seemed normal at the time. And in retrospect, seems a little odd.
1: Huh. Maybe she's compiled all that touchy data somewhere. Yeah, maybe so. Huh. I mean, I guess she was at the leading edge. Do you feel that you received adequate care then from from the medical uh, side? And do you think that you would have appreciated uh, more psychological care? Did you receive psychological care through it? Or did you have to self-administer that?
0: Um, For the standards of the time, I probably received adequate care. But I I would like there to be a lot more research in the outcomes for people who are undergoing these therapies.
1: Okay. More so than, um, do you think that we have adequate research for diagnosis?
0: I think we've given up on diagnosis. Huh. Anybody, Anybody who declares themselves to be trans at this point is um, you know they're trans. Oh. There are therapists who are afraid to hmm. naysay patients because they'll be they'll receive complaints, professional complaints about their um, care. Yeah. And there's some you know I've I've heard anecdotes of uh, therapists who no longer want to see trans patients because it's just too uh, it's too fraught. Hmm. So I, I think the Standards for uh, trans care are, uh, I, to me, it's it. Mm-hmm. Listening to people's experiences, it sounds like it's kind of become a, a rubber stamp.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you think that has to do with the the political moral panic kind of thing? Do, do you think that has to do with uh, the way that the dialogue has shaped around trans rights being that? acceptance or deplatform. platform um,
0: Well, it's it's not just moral panic. I mean, practically speaking, people have been losing their jobs because of the like political force that trans activism has brought to the scene. Um, I think it was Kenneth Zucker who um, lost his position at... Sorry, I don't have all these f- facts in front of me. It was up in Toronto lost his position at at the clinic there because of, um, claims that were, that turned out to be unfounded, (laughs) but the activists were, you know, their, their goal was to get him out of that position because he was perceived as being a a gatekeeper. (laughs) Probably he was a gatekeeper because he didn't want to just rubber stamp people into transition, (laughs) but, um, he was removed. Um, you know, if if you follow some of the politics around WPATH, which is the, um, you know, I'm, I'm Googling that really quick to remember <laughs> what it stands for, uh, World Professional Association for Transgender Health, right? Okay. That's the replacement for, they, they've created the replacement standards for the Harry Benjamin um, standards of care. And that's extremely political now. It's been taken over mostly by trans people. And heterodox points of view are not very well accepted in WPATH.
1: It's become very doctrine. Hmm. And they they wield a tremendous amount of power then? They do, yes. And to go against them basically means you'll be de-licensed as a...
0: Um, it 's risky right because even if even if you don 't lose your license, you might become the subject of a whisper campaign or uh, receive a an open letter condemning you
1: hmm. I guess it's it 's kind of a stupid worry, but I just want to voice this and please shoot me down um, that this radicalism how do we how do we separate the uh criticizing the radicalism criticizing this this and that organization criticizing this or that social force um from the criticism against a trans individual because it seems like they could very easily get mixed up or at least the trans rights activists can always use if you criticize a trans if you criticize us and our methods you're actually criticizing trans people and therefore you're phobic how do we how do we diverge those two things how do we separate trans people from the trans rights activists sure
0: how do we do that as critics i'm sorry Uh,
1: yeah just as as somebody who wants as for anybody who wants to progress and and wants to provide acceptance for trans people um whether you are trans or you know you want to be a good ally mm -hmm. but this just seems like one of the major problems um you're going to get for a n- number of different reasons, but one of the main problems is, is that you have a lot of radicals in power who have the have the authority basically I could be totally shut down for even looking into this, um, if not just get a lot of hate. but how do we separate that contingent from you know society's acceptance of trans individuals
0: yeah. well uh, we can't practically separate that because hmm. we can't control the reactions of the people who we're criticizing so if we're criticizing activists we're not criticizing them as people um, we're criticizing their tactics yes we're criticizing their objectives we're criticizing their values mm-hmm. but saying that um, trans people for example I'll, I'll make a value statement here um, people who are transgender should embrace the fact of their birth sex that male to female trans people should embrace that they're male, that uh, female to male should embrace that they're biologically female. That's a value statement. And uh, if somebody were to attack that, that's not the same as attacking me. Hmm. When a trans activist says trans women are women, period, that's a statement of their values. And for me to say that that's not true, I'm not attacking the person who believes that, it, and um, it wouldn't even be proper for me to attack somebody for saying that, right? I, I don't I don't have a reason to do that. But um, the person who is receiving that message, we can't stop them from twisting that and saying, why are you trying to erase me? Or, or hmm. why are you trying to deny my right to exist? We can't control how they accept that. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, what can we do about it? Well... Um, I'm willing to have this conversation with anybody, Hmm. but we have to start by making a a safe environment for these conversations to happen with people who are willing to engage, no matter what their point of view is, Hmm. as long as they're willing to, uh, like me listen to you, you listen to me, um, even if we don't change each other's minds, the ability to to just have the conversation, Hmm. right? So, So creating the safety to even talk across the lines Uh, That's the first thing that we have to do.
1: And that, how does that contradict what Twitter's decided to do?
0: Well, Twitter contradicts that in a lot of ways. Um, First of all, the, the the way that the bands and the mutes work, it makes it so that people can um, Hmm. just make very strong statements, even about other people's character or motives and not have to face any rebuttal even from the person that they're criticizing because they can just block them right mm-hmm. and if, you, if you're blocked after somebody has attacked you, you you don't even have a platform to defend yourself very easily anymore because you, you can't reply directly to that person's words
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, so that's that's one of the worst things that twitter does hmm. but by continuing to expand the types of language that people can use in order to um, discuss ideas or to discuss topics um, th- it, it it just uh, keeps those conversations from being to ha- able to happen
2: mm-hmm.
0: there's a and something that going on I, I haven't gone on Twitter today to to address this but hmm. um, I'm a software developer and in the open source community there's been a movement over the last couple of years to adopt um, uh Oh, what are they called? <laughs> uh, Standards like of belief? Community uh, guidelines kind of thing? Yeah, there's there's a... Uh, give me give me just a tick here.
1: I think about, I read about this. <coughs> Pardon me. And certain people are now threatening to remove their code from... Is this about Unix or Linux? Yes,
0: yeah, okay. it's about that. So... Um, Give me. I'm sorry. I don't know if uh, you have to edit stuff like this out or or not. I probably will. Yeah. It's for, for some reason I'm having a brain fart, even though I know exactly what it is. <laughs> code of conduct.
2: Yeah. Okay.
0: So contributor codes of conduct, right? So this is a some drama that's going around today, and the the person who innovated this idea is named Coraline, uh Ada. Mm-hmm. And Coraline is also a trans person. She's a trans woman. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And uh, I think the intention of the idea of a code of conduct where individuals are, like there's a document that sets expectations of how people are supposed to treat each other.
2: Yeah, okay. And it's
0: supposed to be with respect and and without regard to an individual's characteristics. Okay. It is generally a good idea.
1: And we're talking about um, characteristics of character or characteristics of uh, physicality and and well, race, the, genders, y- so on and so
0: forth. Right. The, the types of characteristics that one would normally see in a list of uh, intersectional identities. Right. Yeah. Okay. So as as you say, um, gender identity, um, disability, um, religion, th- things like that, um, body shape. Um, when I saw that this uh, code of conduct was starting to take off, I noticed that there was a glaring omission of sex. Sex was not a protected characteristic of it. Hmm. And I had a, I, I had a hypothesis that sex was deliberately removed from it because it was a trans woman who wrote it. And that she did not want to include sex as a characteristic because that would protect um on the basis of biological sex
2: mm. and
0: biological sex is an, uh, athema, anathema to uh, transgender ideology. Mm. And so I, um, contributed my own change to the code of conduct to add sex as a protected characteristic. And that, that created, uh, a, a lot of pushback and debate. And it took almost a year for that to be adopted. Hmm. And, when it was adopted, it was not adopted as just sex. It was adopted as sex characteristics. And hmm. that was following a debate on whether or not including the word sex would be, uh,
1: would, itself, would exclude.
0: Discreet. Yeah. It would be, it would be uh, biased against trans people to have the word
1: sex in there. Why do you think that that would be, it just seems like that there's a, there's a theoretical component of the trans rights activism that might, I don't know for certain, tell me if you know, uh, might come from like queer theory um, where there's an assumption that that gender is a social construct or social constructionism is kind of a part of it. But why is sex such a hard concept to just accept or why does it need to be, why does biological sex need to be stated to not exist even though it flies in the face of obviousness empirical right. obviousness it does it's because if
0: you, you know let's imagine a society where the statement trans women are a type of man was was like an ordinary statement okay if, if society were to think that way and say trans women are a variety of men if you're a boy you grow up Maybe instead of becoming gay, what you do is you decide to live full-time as a woman. You're still male. You're still a man. You're just a different variety of man, one that maybe um, Hmm. has had a sex change or long hair or whatever, but that's just another category of man. Um, That creates like a... That's that's what I believe, but that creates such a, a, a powerful injury to people who don't want to believe that they are the sex that they were born as, who want, who have such a a strong attachment to this identity that they've created, Mm -hmm. that, that to hear, as you said, the obviousness, to hear that in rebuttal to what their claims are, um, it's an injury to them. Mm -hmm. It, it, it hurts them. They react very strongly to it. So in order to eliminate the risk of that, that pain or that injury, Hmm. uh, why not? Eliminate biological sex as a concept, right?
1: And this goes back to what the conservatives or the the right w- would say about, I'm not going to kowtow to your disorder. I'm not going to change science. We're not going to change science because your feelings don't like it. We, we can't do that. And, you know, which is a tug of war, but it's really problematic when companies start to take that line or when the, the rights activists get into positions of power where they can dictate uh, mediums of uh, communication, science magazines, authority things, uh, medical codes, uh, psychological codes and and stuff like that. It it, it just seems like such dangerous territory uh, that we're all of a sudden in because of the, the very strong, you know, even admirable will of people who want to affect that change. Um, Do you see that shaking out in a good way or do you think it's going to? Well, it's weird to me
0: because uh, now I'm in a position where potentially, um, you know, I'm in technology where that, where what you're describing is, is especially prevalent. Um, By me saying I'm transsexual, and that means that I'm a male who has had treatments to be to look more female. Um, I'm jeopardizing my own marketability in those types of organizations. Oh, okay. Because I'm because I'm not beca- not not merely because I'm trans, but because I'm speaking against the ideology that that company is propagating to hmm. I- its own employees or to its own culture. Mm. So.
1: You're like a walking contradiction of their belief system. Yes. And you're even more, you're more of a problem to them than you are to any heterosexual, you know, uh, basically highly traditional person. Um, Oh yeah, definitely.
0: Um, If you look at the way that um, the silencing is being clamped down on people who are speaking out against trans things, it's all feminists. Um, It's, some trans people, but it 's almost all on the left when you have um, commentators on the right criticizing trans of ideology uh, their twitter isn 't getting shut down their hmm. their facebook their uh, youtube those those channels aren 't being shut down because the activists don 't care about shutting down people who they don 't think um, hmm. can influence their allies right. Nobody, nobody cares what Ben Shapiro thinks about whether trans people have a a mental disorder. What they care about is internal fractures. So it's more important to silence from the inside than it is to address criticism from the outside.
1: Okay. Do you think that's going to inherently, uh, or do you think that over time that's going to weaken them? I I just don't see that as like, if we're talking strategy games, that just seems like you're weakening yourself because you're end up, like the left eating itself or the left kicking out more and more members mm-hmm. of it. And where are those members going to go? It just seems like a bad game plan. I yeah. Wonder dumb, if you can...
0: <laughs> like uh, there, there are so many, you know, if, 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 if there's a list of 10 things and we agree on seven of them, well, why, why are we fighting with each other? why are we prioritizing the three things that we don't disagree with and, and making enemies out of each other over those things?
2: Mm-hmm. Like
0: I, I don't understand the mentality of um, focusing on things to create schisms about and and driving those in. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's where we're at right now. So yeah, it's it's a dumb strategy.
1: Hmm. Do you think that? Well, I'm sorry, that's wrong question. Do you think you're you're going to be able to survive? You think you'll be fine, or do you think eventually you're going to have to find other work or shut yourself up?
2: I'll
0: be okay. Yeah. Um, I have a smaller opportunity set. But
1: I'm fine with it. Okay. There's a little bit of sacrifice. Do you think that ultimately you could, um, I mean, how can we help people in your position? And by that, I I don't know who we is, but like, how do you think that society itself could benefit people in your position who, who are seven out of 10 left?
0: Well, this kind of goes back to why I had so many people from the right decide to follow me after that Twitter thread. They, there are people who want to find points of commonality
2: hmm.
0: with other people, even though, even though they might disagree. I had a number of uh, DMs come in right after that saying, I don't agree with all of your politics, but I'm really glad to be able to have this conversation.
2: Hmm.
0: I even had uh, a couple of people reach out and say, I have a trans family member and I don't know how to deal with it. And I, I feel like I say terrible things when I accidentally use their old name. Like, what What can I do? Um, this, this militancy is creating uh, fractures within our own personal relationships. Yeah. Uh, and that cannot go on indefinitely because as soon as you drive everybody else out, you're by yourself.
1: Yeah. So in a way, you're actually benefiting. You don't need help because your position is actually... Strategically so sound that you're gonna get more and more allies that don't have to and I don't mean allies in the way that People on the left are using allies now, but you're you're gaining organic allies I I am yes
0: but I mean I, it, I Want to maintain my friendships with people who believe differently on these issues than I do mm-hmm. Um I've lost a couple of friendships because of it, but I don't want to, I want, I want to continue, Hmm. um, being friends with people but for for some people it's, it's just, it's, it's too difficult for them to Hmm. have a friendship with me, realizing that the things I believe are, uh, erased their existence.
1: Why do you think that term is out there? erasing existence does that have like a precedent or does that come from somewhere it's just, it's really hard for me not to mock that or not to just call that out as a manipulation tool um so i i want to dial that down and see like is there like a pre- does that come from somewhere are you erased when somebody calls you something that you don't want to be called
0: yeah if you'd like to just detour a minute and mock that i'm completely okay with okay because yeah. because like you remember sticks and stones may break my bones. <laughs> like if somebody <laughs> looks at me and says, you're not a woman, you're a man. Well, oh no, I've been erased. Oh wait, I'm still tangible, I'm still right here.
2: Huh. Yeah.
0: Um, it makes me think of, remember that uh, Donald Duck cartoon where, where the animator has the pencil and he's erasing parts of him and like draws different, <laughs> different things on him, uh, that's, that's what that phrase makes me think of.
2: Huh.
0: Um, but you're not being erased. You're still there. Like assert yourself. Hmm. If somebody can't erase you without either massive violence or mm. without your consent. Mm-hmm. And there's no massive violence. So don't give them the consent to erase you.
1: Yeah. Ironically enough, it's the people who are using that phrase or who champion that phrase are erasing other people from the conversation.
0: and or Or even erasing themselves.
1: Right? What do you mean?
0: Well, if if they're adopting a victim mentality Hmm. and saying, what you believe is victimizing me, uh, they're limiting their own growth.
1: Hmm. They're
0: limiting their own potential. Um, Hmm. If I'm constantly reacting to the world and shaping how I feel about my own self based on how the world sees me, where where is my core? I don't have a core anymore. Yeah. I don't I don't have an inner monologue that's sustaining me. Yeah. I'm sustained completely by the observations of the people around me. Huh. And and if that's not self erasure, I don't know what is.
1: Yeah. It's the identity trap. Yeah. If you, if you believe that you exist insofar as you have an identity, then you constantly are relying on other people ratifying that identity because that identity doesn't actually exist. An identity is just there. I mean it it doesn't produce anything. I guess it does right. exist on a on a surface level and social media like hyphenates how much identity does exist. But before large scale media like an identity was just like here like if you we go back to and this is just an analogy. If you go back to like medieval times like there's the smith, there's the miller, there's the vicar, you know, and like you your role, what you do in the world is your identity not who you are, but what you do is the reality. And it seems like like this might have to do with a larger social problem in the west or in America where where we think that we've put so much and maybe even marketing and capitalism has boosted up how much an identity matters because an identity and I selling somebody a set of identities or a set of components of an identity can actually have real-world results with your, regards to your pocketbook. But I think that that our entire frame of reference needs to go back to to a craftsman identity or craftsperson identity where your values and in what you produce and and that production doesn't have to be a, a material thing it can be also like the the reaction that you have in the world with other people how you right. serve other people
0: well it, it could just be what do you do with your time hmm. like uh in your example if somebody's a, a miller or a blacksmith their their time is spent producing goods in the world, right? Yeah. Um, if I'm spending my time volunteering at the at the animal shelter, right? That's that becomes part of my identity. Yeah. I'm a volunteer. Uh, if if you have a lot of things that you're doing in the world, and you're engaged in a lot of activities, um, you're becoming the sum of those different things that yes. you do, and that's your identity. Yeah. If all you're doing is yelling at people online i, I right. mean your your identity isn't isn't what you're claiming to be online your identity now is you're a an online combatant right huh you're you're an ideologue um huh. defending the your beliefs and if you want to become a a well well rounded person you have to get out and do other things to add to your identity
1: yeah things that can't be er- erased by the flick of a button right yeah, yeah and
0: and and just to make fun of or i mean to uh uh <laughs>
2: commentate yes
0: uh to to provide a intellectual observation of um erasure again Mm
2: -hmm.
0: um what about religious people when somebody when an atheist says to them i don't believe in your god yeah like can you imagine if if i had faith in god and somebody said to me your god doesn't exist how how crazy would it be for me to say oh i've been
1: erased Well, I mean, it's either that or string the person up and pull them apart with four horses, you know.
0: Well, sure. I I guess if you have enough of the majority view, you can get away with that.
1: Yeah. But
0: like we we still have religion in this country, even though we have a a pretty good atheist population. And you know what? I'm sorry. I've got to take this back because there is a movement on the right to say that the left is getting rid of Christmas. Oh, so yeah, I, yeah. I, I I suppose there is some sort of erasure complaint from from that angle.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, and every every October, everybody has to complain either about the cultural appropriation or about the complaining of cultural appropriation. Every November, we have to complain about right. colonialization, and then every December, we have to complain about the erasure of uh, Christian holy days. Uh, right. I think that every. Every month of the year should just, instead of holidays, we should have like bitchy days, right? Where there's something that we're going to bitch about, historically or in the culture, uh, and everybody's going to duke it out. Like we'll just have perennial social media material.
0: If we um, aren't you describing what is already in fact true,
1: <laughs> I guess we just let's just let's just come out. About it. <laughs>
0: I mean uh next the people uh, next month the people on the right will be complaining about Martin Luther King Day, right? Oh yeah. And then hmm. and then in February people will be complaining about Love. uh heteronormativity. Single, single marginal right, heteronormativity, yeah. right. So <laughs> and then uh I I forget March is uh Christopher Columbus, right? So yeah, we've, we've got the whole rolling, um, <laughs> the, the problematic train is yeah. on the track.
1: The, yeah, we should have like a, instead of an advent calendar, an outrage calendar. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, this is a question that I I wonder if you can relate to. I was listening to a wonderful conversation between John McWhorter, Glenn Lowry, Thomas Chatterson Williams, and um, Camille, I don't know his last name, and then Coleman Hughes. Five very well-spoken black individuals, black men. Um, And I've listened, I listened to them a lot and, and I've even spoken to a few and I hope to continue speaking to a few and listening to that conversation. I'm, I, I was wondering like, do they get tired of always talking about their identity? Do they always, I know that you're gone. Oh, there we go. That rounds out the episode. Yeah. I'm just trying to get
0: you an extra thousand views.
1: Yeah. Put the cat. There we go. Or I don't know which way. Um, do you think that you're... Like, like? there's a double bind with being in a category and speaking about that category. Like, is it exhausting? And I don't mean to, like, bring up the whole victimization, like, all this emotional labor. I mean, this that argument has been done to bits. But do you think that there's... How do we get... <laughs> do you feel burnout? Do you feel like your role now is like your identity is now tied up too much with professing your identity.
0: Yes. Um the the thing that really interests me or that i have a passion for is writing software, right? Yeah. So when i open Twitter, half of my feed is politics and gender and the other half is like how to perfect a part of your trade. Huh. And I'll open up a couple of tabs, and one of them will be on writing better web software, and another one will be on why uh, huh. trans prisoners in uh, Britain shouldn't shouldn't be housed with women, right? So my attention has to be split between those. Yeah. Or I guess it doesn't have to be. I'm choosing to split my attention between those. Um, and the reason for that is, even though I would like to stay engaged more in my career, when something like Megan Murphy gets banned from Twitter that makes me so angry <laughs> like that captures my my uh attention and i i have to i feel compelled to say something about it because i'm in a a special position to be able to have mm. a yeah. a viewpoint on it that's not common yeah but which is in support of her and probably she deserves to have some support yeah so it, it is a little tiring because I want to concentrate on other things, but mm-hmm. um, I, I feel compelled to hmm. keep a, a finger in the conversation about gender.
1: Yeah. So, but you're balanced then? Oh, yes. Your identity yes. isn't just your, your only identity. No. Um,
0: most weekends, I'm probably playing board games uh, with friends not Not with a bunch of queer activists, but people who have normal lives <laughs> um, not the queer activists don't I'm willing that's to a, that's that a it
1: form w- of a board game. I'm sure that there should be yeah. a board game out there for
0: yeah. that um there there is more to me than yeah this this point of view, and uh, i I think everyone should be like that
1: yeah, yeah, I wonder if there i wonder if we'll reach an equilibrium um. With the various issues where, like what you were saying with the code of conduct, Um, it seems like there's, uh, like with Gamergate, uh, Mm -hmm. to summarize that in in one fashion, you have a bunch of gamers complaining about the way that they're depicted in the news media, or, you know, they're complaining about, like, the news media about games is doing some weird things. And what that showed on one level of analysis, it showed that this activism was infecting different uh, different groups, different pastimes. Uh, and then you, we, we see that through HR, like activism is now infecting um, uh, corporations. And it might not be an actual infection. It might just need to be reorganized in a way where it does right. have something positive to give, but it doesn't control the conversation. And it's not there to control the conversation, but to alleviate certain tensions rather than producing a whole other set of tensions. So I wonder if you're if you're an optimist or if social justice you think is inherently flawed, um, or activism. Well,
0: I, I, I'm a believer, huge believer in social justice, um, as it's defined offline. How but would you define of, it then? I think it's a matter of ensuring uh, just and equitable outcomes for individuals, uh, especially vis-a-vis their relationship to their fellow citizens or their government
2: Mm, so
0: equal voting rights um equal educational opportunities um as as much as is practical um fair uh, treatment in court so i i think all of those things have have a lot of value Uh, that's not what we see reflected in social Mm. activism online and to your point what's starting to migrate out into the real world from that community. Um, it can't sustain. Hmm. So if there's a company that, um, I don't know the like the fallout with James Damore and Google, yeah. there are a lot of developers who don't want to work for Google because of that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Google's going to have trouble attracting talent. Um, from what I've heard, they may already be having those troubles. Um, they can't sustain, and and
2: hmm.
0: it's not because they're treating people fairly because of social justice policies. It's because they've now absorbed this worldview that um, instead of looking at somebody as at an employee in terms of what sort of contributions they can bring, hmm. they're judged in terms of what their worldview is. Hmm.
2: Uh,
0: that's that's at least in a in a capitalist system. That's that's not sustainable. Hmm. Um, Linux now has a code of conduct but famously it didn't for a long time the creator of Linux was Linus Torvalds and Linus Torvalds also created a really important tool for programming called Git and that's Hmm. a way of making sure that you don't lose um, changes in your code Hmm. and although Linus Torvalds could be described as a problematic individual especially with uh, like he's famous for treating people harshly when they try to contribute his own personal contributions to the world are humongous Hmm. and if you take people like that and say i don't like your politics therefore Hmm. you can't participate like you can't you can't add anything into society anymore because i don't like your attitude that's just that's just stabbing yourself with a knife right Mm -hmm. um Hmm. so we could get to the point where only people that have the right ideas are allowed to contribute, but I, I don't think you can hold that in equilibrium.
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm. So you think there'll be a market correction or yes. a crash rather than a crash?
0: I think it'll be a correction. I think we'll see. Um, I mean, it, it, it's, it, there, there's always this creative destructive cycle, right? Yeah. So people who don't want to work for Google, they'll go work for startups that will disrupt Google whether intentionally or not. Right. So, And and people like me, I won't go work for Google. I'll go work (laughs) for one of their competitors if if my attitude's not right for Google.
1: Hmm. Do you think that there's... um, I don't know. This just seems like a really optimistic place to leave it then. Well, you know... Unless we want to get doom and gloom. Do you have any more uh, dystopian fantasies? Just token. Well,
0: it's going to get worse before it gets better. You think so? It's still
1: going to keep getting worse. Yeah.
0: Um, What I'm what I'm keeping my eye out for is the inflection point of child transitioners. Yeah. Where even Hmm. even though it might be going up instead of going up like this, it starts going like that. Yeah. Um, And maybe hopefully tops out. Uh, I I think we're going to keep seeing more and more children um, being put through these invasive hmm. therapies until the, the people who started four or five years ago get to the point where they can really get their voices out to help try to um, slow that down. Hmm. But there, I think there will probably be tens of thousands of children uh, condemned to live as trans hmm. uh, in, until this starts to turn around. Hmm. There, there's your doom and gloom. There we
1: go. That's horrible. That's the worst thing that you could have said.